from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Here's a reassuring thought. Death happens to all of us. Okay, I know that probably doesn't feel reassuring, but to a growing number of people, that acknowledgement, that conversation, which so often feels uncomfortable or morbid, it's something to embrace and to seek out. That's the idea behind a death cafe, a space for people to gather, to talk about death, to let go of stigma, and to help each other navigate unseen roadblocks and the hard feelings that come with dealing with the end of life. Beyond just the concept of death cafes, this approach is part of what's become known as the death positivity movement. And on Wednesday night, St. Louis on the Air producers Emily Woodbury and Maya Norfleet attended this month's STL Death Cafe meeting held at the city foundry. One attendee, Terry Powell of Dorsey, Illinois, in Madison County, has come to the death cafe for the last five years. She told our producers that she began attending after her husband's death. The process had left her with questions, and she wanted to find answers that would help her when her time came. I had already been very pragmatic about death. I had previously been more spiritual, spiritual religious, uh, and then some things that happened at my work, and it changed me or it awakened me to how, for me, these bodies might as well be house plants that have brains. At some point they're going to die. And at some point there's nothing more we can do. And so I started looking at death as way more pragmatic. This is how it happens. This is how the body reacts to diseases or trauma. And so at that point I began being much more forward with my family. That was Terry Powell speaking at a recent Death Cafe meeting. And joining us now to talk about, well, how to talk about death is Tracy Gomillion, founder of the STL Death Cafe. Tracy, welcome. Thank you so much. We're also joined by grief educator Eileen Wolfington. Eileen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Tracy, I, I want to start with you. Uh, you founded STL Death Cafe seven years ago. So just give us a bit of an introduction. What is a death cafe and what ma motivated you to start your own? Absolutely. So Death Cafe has been um, in existence since 2010. It was created by a John Underwood, a gentleman in England. And the real objective of Death Cafe is to increase our awareness of death with a view to helping people to make the most of their finite lives. It's entirely volunteer run, so I was able to just use a very easy booklet from their website to get started. There's no charge to attend, and essentially it's just an open community forum for anyone who's interested to discuss death, dying, and grief, strangers coming together to destigmatize and erase that taboo, and have a really important conversation together. Now, in our introduction, you know, we heard from, from Terry Powell, and she was talking uh, about her interest in exploring death. And part of what she talked to her producers about is that in her experience of her husband dying, she was unsatisfied with that process. She still had questions. Is that a common reaction? Are people coming to these death cafes after experiencing a loved one passing and feeling that there should have been something more here? 
Absolutely. We hear that all the time. And to be clear, we are not meant to be a um, a replacement for a grief support group. There are lots of those out there. They're wonderful. Um, Call 211. United Way will point you in the right direction. But for someone like Terry, whenever she showed up, she really was curious to learn about how could she set up her family to be better prepared whenever her time came. And that's very common. I'd say it's one of the most common uh, themes is people show up after they've experienced what we would call a bad death experience. And something didn't go quite as we would hope. And they want to ensure that for their loved ones, that they have a more positive, well-planned and executed death for themselves. Eileen, mm-hmm. I wanted to, to, to toss this kind of a issue to you. you know, in terms of death positivity, it almost sounds like you're encouraging an, uh, an affirmative kind of approach to death, not just waiting for it to happen, not being passive. Is that fair to say? That is very fair to say. Yeah. And, and what, you know, in terms of death positivity, tell us a bit about what, you know, what does positive mean in, in this context? For me, it's accepting the reality of our mortality and not waiting until um, a critical event occurs, a diagnosis, or hearing from the doctors, as I heard when my father passed away, he has perhaps six months to a year to live. Mm -hmm. The most devastating words that you ever want to hear, and yes, I grieved, but I was much better prepared than when I lost my mother 20 years ago due to an unexpected death. And so when we understand and have the conversation about what would you do, what would I do if I was no longer here? And the Dead Cafe, going to a grief support um, group, attending this weekend's festival that hopefully we can mention later. We absolutely will, yes. Um, Becoming curious and exploring. There is so much available today online. We, Tracy and I and others, are hoping to start a movement in St. Louis, here Mm. in our own backyard where people have access to us. Um, But now with so much happening on Zoom, you know, most of the training that I've received, people from all over the world. Right. And, you know, I think it's so interesting that this is both a, a new movement. Uh, you know, death positivity might not mean, not, might not be a term that a lot of folks have encountered before now. But this notion that you don't have to approach death with this, this grimness, this finality, this, you know, this sense that it means something bad happening perhaps to your family or to your sense of soul, to where you go. There, there's so much anxiety wrapped up in that. And I wanted to ask you, because when you, you look at, you know, a tradition like the Day of the Dead, um, it it is such a different vibe. It is a different approach to what death means and the kind of emotional tenor um, that that it brings into our lives. I, I love. Could you just tell us a bit about you know that that sense of what death means in that culture and, and is particularly I know it's something that you're connected to uh, very personally. Yes, yes. Well, first I want to clarify that it's not Halloween, yes. and it's not even Day of the Souls. Um, that people often confuse with. It's a celebration of life where we believe that our ancestors 
come back to visit us. And I don't mean that literally, that you're going to see a ghost or a a living spirit, but it's the essence of who they were and the life they lived. It's a day of remembrance, and it's a day of celebration so that those emotions that we had when we lost our loved one hopefully continue in our hearts, but that now we remember the joy that they lived, the joy that they brought in our lives, and maybe not so much the joy, but simply respecting and remembering them as you would on the Veterans Day when we remember those who fought for our country. Yeah, and you know, Tracy, I wanted to ask you, when you're having these kinds of conversations at the Death Cafe, and when there are these kind of different emotions, there are people who are planning, there are people who are remembering, you know, what does it feel like? How do you guide these conversations, and, and what are people getting out of those? Well, I think that I, I feel most comfortable to speak for myself. So I don't know exactly what others are getting, but for me, I find that the the more comfortable I become, as Eileen was talking about, with just the fact of that it's not even an if, it's just when, it's when I die, it's when my loved ones die, that I find that every moment of my living life is so much more precious, so much more valuable, because I know it will end. There is going to be an end point, and I need to make good use of my time here. And whenever I attend a death cafe and I hear people talking about various experiences, good experiences, negative experiences, confusing experiences, I learn so much and I'm able to make better plans for myself and my loved ones. I'm able to better guide conversations in the future to help others. But I think that really what it comes down to, I mean, some of the biggest themes of what people talk about is that people don't want to listen whenever they want to talk about their loved ones who have died. They are trying to have conversations with their loved ones about planning for their eventual death, and people don't want to have those conversations. So we try to help each other and affirm each other that those are still very important conversations to have and to continue trying to have them and to kind of help our loved ones ease into that transition of feeling prepared to take that deep dive and remove some of that taboo and stigma because death is part of the life process just as much as birth is. So if we could get to a place where we are as comfortable talking about death as we are about birth, then I think we would all be better served for it. Mm. Eileen, I wanted to kind of put that question to you as well. When you're trying to talk with a loved one, preparing for the end, and you're, you're bringing up a subject that I think a lot of folks would say, oh, I, I don't want to talk about that. We're, we're at dinner. We're, I just want to talk about nice things. Tell me what's going on. How, how do you bridge that gap? How do you explain perhaps to a loved one and a parent, a relative, that this, this is a conversation that's being done out of love, out of life, um, and that you want to have it? How do you get around that grief avoidance um, or avoidance of these these very difficult topics? It's all in the approach. So I may not even mention death at all, and I simply say, what are your values? What are your hopes? What are your fears? Have you ever lost someone? What was that experience like? If you could have done something different, or maybe that was you, what would you do differently? And what did you like about that experience? So I don't begin with, what would you do if you passed away or you were diagnosed with a chronic illness? 
if I can get them to speak about their experience, about the loss of someone else, if it doesn't bring back a grief burst, then I say, what if, let's have a conversation, you were in that position, what might you have done? And then they might not be so hesitant, but I never um, make someone get in the conversation because they're not ready yet. There are those that will openly speak about it. Tracy and I had a wonderful conversation before we joined you. And there are others that if it's not time, it's not their time to talk about it. And they may never talk about it like my father. Mm. I tried to broach the subject. And he said, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live to be 100. (laughs) God love him. But as I reflect on the life he led, he was very private. He knew no strangers. He entertained everyone. But when it came to serious things like that, he often didn't go to a funeral because he said, Eileen, I don't want to remember them like that. Hmm. So that's what I, my experience growing up was. But because I was so curious what they were like, when someone invited me, I would go. So I could see I was curious. It, it sounds like almost that... It, Death is not so much of a, a, a terrible, traumatic thing, but our, our avoidance of it, waiting until the very last moment until it, it comes to us. And then, of course, we're, we're panicking and we're, we're, you know, we're saddened. We thought he would live, you know, live to 100, and then it, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, how, are people setting themselves up for a much more difficult kind of grief if they don't approach it now, if they don't give themselves that space? I believe that they will perhaps suffer more emotionally. And that anxiety can result in illness. So people will still grieve. I hurt immensely when dad died, Mm. thinking I would never laugh again. But now I laugh every day and even became a laughter yoga leader to honor my dad. And, and so those emotions, we're, we're more resilient than we can imagine. But not everyone, if they don't have the knowledge of their personal values, their, the experiences they've had with death. You heard Tracy share the negative experiences she had. She didn't lead a life of negativity on the on the extreme. She looks at death positively now because there are changes that can be made the more knowledge that we have, the more we seek knowledge with trusted people who allow us to speak and who listen. Yeah. And Tracy, I, I wanted to ask you kind of you know something similar. Um, you know, our culture seems to also have a lot of opinions about death. And we're we're in Halloween season and I know it's a bit, you know, it's still you know, a holiday that is not always very serious, but it does tell us something about our fears. It does, you know, kind of show us a mirror to what culture says about death. Where has, you know, what forces are you working against, I guess, is my question. What do you have to unwind from people about what they've learned about how they should interact with death, just from being in our society, from interacting with our popular culture? Well, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that one of the things that I find, I mean, I find it funny because I just can't believe people invest in these commercials where, um, you know, it's this very bizarre conversation between like an older parent and their adult child. And they're like, honey, I need to tell you, 
I bought a life insurance policy because <laughs> I might die one day. And they always use that in, in concrete language of like, it might happen. No, it's going to happen. That's a definite. You're going to die. And I think that like, I, I always like the opportunity to just remind people like, that's, that's not an if, that's just a when. Um, so I think that that's part of the the thing that we're working against is people want to put it off in this hypothetical, maybe one day I die. No, every day, like people die every day and all of us are going to die and everyone we love is going to die. And if we wait too long, we miss an opportunity. And like Eileen was talking about, when my father died, I, I hit the lottery. I had saved up all my courage to call this man and say, I know you're not well, and I know you don't want medical treatment, and that's okay, but let me show up and be there for you. And the coroner told me that he died within an hour of that phone conversation. Wow. And I think to, to your point, these practical concerns with death, you know, these kind of conversations you're trying to broach, when it comes to the point where someone is, is really ill, it feels like you don't have a lot of time uh, to think about them. And you know, when our producers uh, attended the Wednesday's uh, Death Cafe and they talked to attendee Terry Powell, she kind of talked to, uh, about this to our producers, Emily Woodbury and Maya Norfleet, about this feeling of, of wanting to be present for her dying husband, but also feeling pulled in different directions. A lot of people just don't realize how business-like dying is. There is a business to it. You have hospice, but you have paperwork. And then there are things to do. And you can get really caught up in all of that when you're supposed to be taking care of your loved one. Eileen, what advice would you want to give to someone like Terry, who's you know, looking back at this process and, and wishing you know, maybe she had been present in a different way, but she was also doing exactly what she needed to be, and she was there for her husband at that time? Yeah. I remember being told by a coworker how much they how they were jealous that I was able to take a leave of absence to be with my father. Initially, I took that offensively, but then I realized it was a privilege. And I work with so many immigrants who will never go back to their homeland to be with their loved one. But because I believe that the body is just the body and that once your spirit leaves, in what one may call the afterlife, to continue to remember their spirit and who they were and send them love, light a candle, prepare some type of ritual, or find someone that can work with you so that you can feel that you're there. It's the essence of the love that you had for them because grief will transform into love, but the average person doesn't know that. Wow. And this weekend, I, sh I should mention, um, you know, in our last uh, minute here, is that both of you are going to be trying to, uh, you know, I think, welcome more uh, more pieces of our community uh, into this kind of thinking. And uh, there's an event called the Last Call, an end-of-life festival that's happening this Saturday and Sunday at Bell Fountain Cemetery. Um, and you can find more about that at last uh, lastcallendoflifefestival.com. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, you both are going to be there, and I think just very quickly, you know, what, what should people look forward to at this event? 
Um, it's going to be excellent. It's been curated and planned for over two years. We have an excellent uh, poetry reading panel. We have a panel of death doulas uh, explaining all of, about that. Um, Eileen speaking on two different to- topics that she's knowledgeable knowledgeable about. I'll be hosting two separate death cafes. It's family friendly. There's opportunities for children to engage. Um, it really has it all. Tracy Gomillion is the founder of STL Death Cafe, and Eileen Wolfington is a grief educator in St. Louis. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. Muchas gracias. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet and Emily Woodbury. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Avery. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air, suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.